I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind, and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes him feel mellow. Welcome to I Like Beer, the podcast, where we discuss great beers and the stories that go with them. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your host, Jeff. And guess what, Jeff? What's that? No one else is here today. It's an all Jeff podcast. <laughs> In our defense, we were left unsupervised. <laughs> we definitely were left unsupervised. So we have a commandeer the studio today and we have decided, hey, we're just going on our own. So what do you want to talk about? Oh, well, ourselves, of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And in in full transparency, this is a second recording. We had a recording with the guys earlier on, so we're already primed for this. Yes, we are definitely primed. And we just left everything on, and we decided to do our own show. That is true. This is I Like Beer, the podcast, Jeff style. Yeah. Thanks for tuning into our show. We're lucky enough to live in North County, San Diego, beer mecca within a beer mecca, 72 degrees all year long. The water is warm. Life is good, especially if you're a Jeff. That's true. And we love sharing beers, telling stories, so we made it a podcast. Thanks for listening. And we ask of you shamelessly, share our podcast with your beer-drinking friends. Right. And how do you do that? So you do that by following us on social media at I Like Beer the Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us at I Like Beer the Po one and I Like Beer the Ta one. Uh, and also make sure to check out our website, take a look at pictures from our field trips and uh, places that we have gone this year, both virtually and in person. And that is at ilikebeerthepodcast.com. And you know what? We always keep track of downloads and Joe doesn't know, do we have to download? Does someone not have to download? Yeah. So for this episode, since no one knows we're recording it, the guys don't know. If you're listening to this one and you don't normally download it, just, just download it. Yeah, download it so that it shows a bunch of downloads. Because this will make it look like it's the biggest one. Yeah, they'll go, wow, how was that the biggest episode? And we're like, well, apparently uh, people really like yeah, Jeff's. Yeah. yeah. So please do that if, if if you're listening and you haven't and you don't normally download it. Yeah. Just download this yeah. one. Just download Come this on. one. This is the we'll one. Be your pal. We'll be your friend. We yes. owe you a pint. Yes, we will definitely owe you a pint. <laughs> I guess he will hear that part of the podcast. He might. So keep listening, sharing, liking, commenting. Send us a message when you have a question or a suggestion for us. Message us on social media or shoot us an email at ilikebeerthepodcast at gmail.com. What do you want to drink on our show, Jeff? Uh, well, I think we're going to do some stave and nail beers because I've really been wanting to check these out and try these. And so uh, I was able to pick them up. They're not open very often. Um, and I was able to get some this last weekend and I ran some by your house. So I think we should drink those. Okay. Uh, hometown brewery for you. Yeah. Steven Nail is San Marcos, uh, California, uh, just down the road from my house. It's a, I would guess it's kind of the definition of nano brewery. It's a very small setup, but the guys do really good work there. They are only open really maybe one weekend a month sometimes. So I think right now they're trying to open two weekends a month. So it's really hit or miss. You know, you have to check their schedule and check their website to see when they are open. But they do uh, some really good beers. And like I said, it's not your it's not your traditional, to me, your traditional brewery. If you're going there looking for IPAs and that kind of stuff, you're not going to find that there. Experimental. Yeah, I would say that. They do a lot of wild ales and farmhouse style, sours, experimental beers, that kind of stuff. And, and everything's done to a very high quality. You want to be in the know. You want to be one of yes. the few that know. You, know. you want to break out of the normal brewery that has seven IPAs and one stout. Then you're heading over to Stave and Nail. 
and try some new crazy stuff. Okay, so since you've picked the brewery and you're picking the beer, I'm going to pick the theme. Okay, sounds good. It's going to be getting to know our host, the talent. Oh, <laughs> great. Known, I, oh. I think I've known you for almost 40 years, so yeah. I can make up some questions for you and, and you can field some questions. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. You know, I hate to talk about myself. <laughs> Actually, until it sounds like fun until you have to do it. What beer do you want to start with from Stave and Nail? So let's start off with this one that's called the Lemmy, which is their Meyer Lemon Sasson. Okay. I'm looking at their thing. It says it's their, uh, it's a rustic Sasson brewed with two different fruit forward farmhouse yeast strains. Um, and after fermentation, it was aged on Meyer lemons before being packaged. And it says it's also one of their first can conditioned beers, uh, meaning that that carbonation was done naturally via kind of a re-fermentation in the can. So it's a pretty light beer. I know for us, this is a little bit stepping outside of our comfort zone. And uh, I think as we drink this and the more we drink it, it, it becomes uh, something that we, we're kind of finding more and more, maybe beginning to enter our wheelhouse. I don't know yeah. what you think. Let me pretend to open it. <laughs> there you go. Carbonation sounds amazing. I'm pretending that I'm not halfway through this beer already. I really like the lemon, which is not normally my thing, but it works for this one. Uh, I got to tell you, two, three years ago, if you gave me a farmhouse size on, I couldn't even get through a taster of it. So, stave and nail, if you're listening, anything other than I can, you know, <laughs> I'm tossing it is good news for me, but I actually find it delicious. Yeah. And it's definitely refreshing. It's very dry. It's got a very dry finish, uh, very clean finish. So, that's what, that's what saves it for me. The lemon up front. And then that dry finish so that the farmhouse funk, which I know people love uh, of the Saison, that funk gets cut off clean just as it starts to to bother me. If that's right. that's, that's not a real technical term. Is this our second podcast of the day? Have we yes, had some beers before this? <laughs> uh, just like one or one or four or five or six. Yeah, uh, I like it. The Lemmy. I think I gave it first time a three, five, I'm ready it. to go three, seven, five. And by the time I get to the end of this pint, I think I'm going to be at a, a full four, which is just insane for me to say about this, this style, but it, one, it's really well done Two, that lemon is making it for me. That clean, dry, crisp finishes right. just perfect. I would agree with you. And I would say that this is my favorite rustic Sison I've ever had. So oh, I'll yeah, leave it at that. 100%. 100%. No, it's really well done. It's a good beer. And like I said, if you are a fan of that style of beer, you definitely want to check it out because it, it, it is really well done. I do have leftover toast, roasts, and pours if we want to. Oh, yeah. That's, we, we might as it? well. I mean, that's a standard. So Maestro, we did bring the Maestro in. Maestro, if you'd please, it's time for toast, roast, and pour one out. Thank you. All right. I have a toast left over. Let's see. I wanted, I wanted to toast our local breweries for hanging in there through tough times, which is basically all of 2020, right? Right. Yeah. Hanging in there. You know, we've been rooting for you. We've been buying your product, a lot of your product. Lot, yep. uh, we've been promoting you on our podcast If that and on social media. That's, you know, I, I realize that's not a lot, but it's something we do have a voice in, in the community to do. Folks, buy local, drink local. Yeah, I'd say I agree. Big toast to also and to how they're able to to adapt to whatever the current uh, health orders are. You know, so you're uh, you're going to breweries now and they're setting up 
you know, canopies out in their parking lot with uh, with a food truck so that they're able to still serve some beer and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm hoping that by us continuing to support and promote and, and people buying their beers that we're going to help us get to the other side of this thing. Yeah, agreed. So toast to our local breweries. Toast. And for our listeners out there, toast to your local breweries, wherever they are. Love what you do. Right. On to Rose. So we're here in San Diego, California. And recently, we've made a, a change the law. So the traffic cameras no longer are a, you know, a legality for a traffic ticket. You get a picture snapped and you know, go to court and they say, here you are in your car. Here's your ticket. Well, they decided that that was just not ethical not going to do that. Plus, I don't think it had anything to do with the ethics. I think it had to do with the money. Right. Uh, they didn't want to pay those companies, but they've left all the cameras on. Right. And they've decided that even though they're not going to use them for ticketing, they're going to leave all the traffic cameras on throughout San Diego. That's a roast. So big brother. All over again. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it enough that my phone's spying on me all the time? <laughs> Well, everything's spying on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now, and now it's everywhere you're driving. So, yeah. And when asked about it, the police said, "Well, it's helpful for us." Okay, that's creepy. A little bit. Yeah, that's creepy. So there's my roast. Turn them off. Take them down. Get rid of them. We've got enough things spying on us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I have a poor one out that I I've been saving uh, that I've wanted to share with you. Well, today's a good day to do this one then. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. So I'm going to pour one out for Maurice the Rooster. Now, Maurice, although not famous to us, is the most famous rooster in France and he has passed on. So pouring one out for Maurice. Yes. R.I.P. Yeah. A little background on Maurice. He he lived on a small island of Oléron. Oh, nice. Oléron. Like a native. Yes. Became famous from lawsuits he was embroiled in. Yes, the rooster was embroiled <laughs> in lawsuits. Newcomers to Oléron, uh, mostly tourists and hipsters wanting to escape to a more rural pastoral landscape, kind of find old country France again, found Maurice's early morning wake-up calls not only annoying, but an invasion of their privacy. They wanted him either exiled or dead. Wow. So they put up lawsuits to get rid of Maurice. But locals who apparently were not surprised that roosters crow in the morning. Really? Yeah. Came to his rescue. 140,000 of them signed a petition to leave Maurice alone, saying he's a symbol of our France, of our lifestyle, and he is a hero. Nice. He won the suits, apparently resumed his morning crowing and until now, because sadly he passed away. But he's not done making noise. <laughs> Because Maurice the rooster left a will and testament. Of course he did. <laughs> and when I saw this, I this is where I knew I got, I've got to work this into the podcast and Joe would never allow it. So yeah, he's not here to stop me. What can he do? I won't tell him if you don't. Yeah. I want to read you parts of, it, it was a long will and testament and I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can look it up, but it's also exceptionally well-written for a rooster. Yeah. And poetic. So I'm going to read you a little bit in our pour one out segment of Maurice the Rooster's Will and Testament. And I quote, I am not a hero. <laughs> Your word, not mine. Yeah. Well, Maurice's word. Yeah. Yeah. An overused word. I spoke my own truth. I did what came naturally to me. Many things change, but the essential things do not. The sun sets, the sun rises. Shaking my waddles, raising my head, I had to greet the morning. 
I could never resist. And why should I have? I had to crow. That was my particular joy, my particular thing. Each of us has one. Honor it. You got to admit, that, that's beautiful, right? It, that, mean, is, that is very yeah, poetic. Yeah. Yes. I am sorry to have caused a fuss. I never wanted to annoy anyone. Those neighbors from Le Mois with their busy city lives, I know they wanted their peace. They'd been saving for their summer vacation. Perhaps what they missed is that a sound like my crowing or a ship's foghorn or a train whistle may form part of the peace of a place. A little more patience, a little less agitation never did any harm. I never went anywhere and I was happy. There's more to a coop than meets the eye. There's more to any place. If you look long enough, I was content to have three hens as companions. (laughs) They kept me busy. (laughs) The chicken and the egg. (laughs) This is a strange season to be ending my days on this small planet. Human beings so restless seem fearful. I hear there's a virus. I'm not sure exactly what the virus is. I think the virus has many things. It always lurks and it will pass. And some other scourge will appear. Keep your eye on the sunrise. This Maurice, he is wise, isn't he? He is a very wise. It's like Gandalf of the roosters. Yes, yes. My countrymen are angry. Well, what else is new? It's always too much or too little in France, but my God, what a country of boundless pleasures. I will miss strutting about. I will miss puffing out my plumage and making heads turn. Yes, I admit I noticed it. I will miss emptying my lungs in the dawn. Such a perfect feeling. I will miss the little familiar sounds that offer comfort. I bequeath the 1,000 euros the judge awarded me to the establishment (laughs) of an online, yes, audio museum of rural sounds, lest this hectic world be forgot. May peace spread across the earth, but please do not confuse peace with silence. Maurice the Rooster. Wow, well said, Maurice. (laughs) Uh, That was well done. Who knew that roosters were so uh, profound, like that they had that much? We do now. Yeah, we do now. Wow, thank you for uh, for enlightening me. There's no way Joe is going to let me read all that. No. He would have said, cut, cut, yeah. cut, yeah. cut. That's the one where your mic magically just stops working. That's, that's yeah. the one I've noticed with Joe. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a toast, a roast, and pour one out. All right, back to our made-up theme. Talent, here's what regular listeners know about you. You're a Jeff, but on this show, you're known as the talent. They know you love yourself a Mexican lager. You're a recent convert to Sours. They also may know that you are a man of many diversified interests with a cunning wit and a discerning taste. You're also known for your extensive research, passion for all things sports, But tonight, I want to dig a little deeper into the man that we know and love as the talent. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you, getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. You ready for this? (laughs) All right. 
Wow. Thank you for that, for that introduction. I hope I can live up to the hype. <laughs> I wrote that down while Maurice was talking. Yes. That's very nice. <laughs> it's, I thought Maurice wrote that. It actually sounds a little bit like his, so I can get the. <laughs> Let's talk about talent, the handyman. Let's start off there. Yeah. Sounds good. You love yourself a project. Yes, I do. Some are utilitarian. Some are more artesian. Let's start with the basics. Tell us about your palapa and the patio furniture you've built. Uh, well, I guess the most basics would be is that I've, you know, I, I've always kind of been a do-it-yourself person. So uh, and maybe it all comes down to just being cheap. <laughs> and so I always look for a way. Can I do it myself as opposed to buying it or paying someone else to do it? And things like my palapa, my palapa bar, those are kind of, those were, uh, what would you call passion projects? And so those were just the things. So when my wife says, Hey, we're going to get a pool. I'm like, great. I'm going to get a bar. I'm going to get a kegerator and I'm going to get a pull off out of it. So that's all I wanted. So I just said, Hey, we, you can do whatever you want. Just make sure I I'm able to do that. And so, you know, and that's kind of how things evolve. And so the, the Palapa one was one where, uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was almost as much fun planning it as building it. And now obviously having it is, is more fun than all of it. But I mean, I went to so many different bars and Palapa places and everything else just to sketch and come up with an idea and, and, and stuff. And so, and then it's pretty cool once you're all done with it to say, yeah, I, I, I put that together and I built that and, and, and then the evolution of it. And so, uh, it's, it's been a fun thing. And, and the patio furniture thing I got really big into, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. Again, it's one of those things where I think as you get older, you start to get a little more aware of the, you know, how much stuff you're kind of throwing away. And put, so I really got into kind of recycling and repurposing. And so with that, it was all about pallets. I started getting really into pallets and what can I build out of pallets and stuff. And so I've built so much stuff out of pallets. Uh, I actually have a pallet guy. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many people you know that have a pallet guy. Chewy. Chewy is my pallet guy. <laughs> and uh, in Vista, cl- pretty close to you. But I call Chewy up and, and I just say, hey, man, I'm, I've got a project. I need some pallets. And he brings over a bunch of pallets for me. And um, I've built everything from vegetable boxes to uh, bar tables to patio, full patio furniture. I built a whole uh, dock out of it. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big pallet guy. <laughs> and you helped me build my pub shed in the backyard, my little escape and, and yeah. keg greater safe zone uh, out of out of repurposed uh, pallets as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they look really cool and it's kind of cool that like, hey, something that didn't go to the landfill or something that wasn't burned up in a fire or whatever else, we were able to kind of reuse it. I remember my wife and I were at the Del Mar Fair or the San Diego County Fair now, and we had seen people had made bars and, you know, setups out of, out of repurposed pallet wood. And she'd taken a bunch of pictures and she asked me, you should build one of these. You got to build one of these up, up on the top of our hill. I'm not building. I would never sit in a structure I built. (laughs) That's not not safe. And then she got smart and she showed it to you and, and, oh, we can make that. Two weeks later, it's built. Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's, I, I, if you haven't noticed, I get a bit obsessed with things and, uh, when it becomes my obsession, uh, I go all in on stuff and, and I will figure out, uh, you know, not only how to, to make it and build it, but also how to tweak it and make it, you know, your own and how to make it as the best thing possible. Like I'm always looking, I'll, I'll give you an example. When my, uh, when my kids were really young, my son was two years old. Um, I decided I'm going to build him a, a playhouse structure, that kind of thing. So I didn't just go and buy the little, you know, the one at Home Depot and put that together. I actually went and I built him a full two-story house that had <laughs> rock climbing walls and trap doors and, you know, all that kind of, and that's just kind of, I think a lot of it is it's those things that you, you know, you wish you had when you were a kid. So now it's my chance to do it again. So I'm going to do it again. So I built it sometimes as much for me as I built it for them, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun. But you also have an artistic side. Yeah. I want to start with your bottle cap art. Well, here's what I would say. I really 
don't have an artistic side. I can't play any type of musical instrument. I can't really carry a tune. I can't draw anything. Uh, so from that standpoint, I don't know that I have, I, you know, in the traditional terms of being artistic. So I have to do stuff different ways. And so, again, that's one of those things where I, I'll be at a brewery and I see something. I think actually the, the one of the first places we were up at Three Mile and they had something pretty cool there with some bottle caps. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got to do something like that. And so then I started again looking at pictures. I'm a big Pinterest guy, you know. Don't hold that against me, but I, I there's so much good stuff on Pinterest, uh, and I'll I'll see like a table or whatever. So yeah, so I built a like a storage table in the in the garage. It's all bottle caps. I built a, 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 an outdoor table with one. I built a little bar top table, and then just resin in those caps. Or I've done them with coasters from. And it's kind of fun too because then you get to collect from all the different breweries you go to and and that kind of stuff. So I guess yeah, in, a, in a terms, that's that's how I I do my my artistic part or my artistic side and our trip up to Oregon to make minimums. You got an idea for your garden, right? Yeah. So that's a, another one. And a lot of times my, my, my ideas end up, uh, you know, stumbling, drunkenly i would say through uh the gardens at mcminimums or a brewery or whatever so you see something and you just go oh that's really cool take a couple pictures with the phone and then you come home and you start looking at that stuff and go okay how can i build that but they if you if you've never been there mcminimums up in in the pacific northwest any of them but the this one was the one at edgefield there and outside of portland and they it's just an amazing their outdoor facility and they had these sculptures that they had built all out of iron basically you know it was all reused repurposed pipe and everything else so i thought that was really cool so I came home and I I kind of replicated it a little bit, but I did it to build trellises for raspberries and you know pea, sweet peas and that kind of stuff. And again, very fun, fun to do, and and it's a fun thing to go to places and find little pieces of you know you know dials and this kind of stuff that you add into it. And again, I guess it's in, in some ways it's art, but for me it's just more it's kind of a fun thing. And then I move on to the next thing. So you leave the old Mexico palapa across the pool across the repurposed pallet patio furniture and you enter the steampunk sculpture garden there you have it right now yeah. it's all in the backyard and you've dappled in stained glass or is that a uh, one that's coming up that's coming up that's my next thing again it's one of those things where sometimes be careful what you what you ask for a wish but i saw this thing that was really cool with stained glass and i mentioned it to uh my brother-in-law and the next thing i know he's he's found me like a boatload of stained glass and machine all this stuff to do stained glass so i have a ton of stuff in the garage i just need to sit down and actually figure out how to do it and put it all together so that'll probably be something here for the the, the next thing now as i finished up a lot of the you know as teachers i know we put a lot of stuff off till the summer covid has enabled me to pretty much finish all my summer projects prior to summer so that'll be maybe my summer project is to start working a little bit on the stained glass stuff we could build a cathedral for Joe. We could totally surprise him with that. He wouldn't even see that coming. I could do that. Shh, don't tell him. He would not see that coming. So, yeah, yes, it's a good idea. Where did you gain your handyman skills? Uh, well, I think I gained, I mean, my handyman skills definitely came from my dad who was on the Father's Day podcast because he's he was the same way. And I think a lot of it was, you know, that uh, his father as well. My grandfather was the same way. He, he worked with his hands and uh, did furniture re- restoration and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, growing up, I, I don't remember buying stuff. I just remember my dad building everything. So whether it was our bed, whether it was our, our uh, living room table, you know, you name it, he was building it. And I remember uh, going back some, I remember I was in college, you know, I had collected quite a number of CDs and I was like, Oh, look at the, they, I saw these really cool CD racks at the warehouse. You guys remember the warehouse? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I saw it and I was like, well, that's really cool. And they wanted like, I don't even know at the time, maybe it was 75 bucks for it. And my dad's like, well, you should just build it. And so he actually, you know, took me and showed me how to use the router, all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I was a, probably, that was the first thing I built and I built that. And 
had that for, well, until CDs were no longer a thing. <laughs> and, uh, but that just escalated. And like I said, I've done the same thing. I, I mean, I've built our, you know, furniture for our house. I mean, I've built my kids' bunk beds. I've built, uh, you know, you name it. I built patio covers. I mean, anything that I can build that's basically, I'm a non-permitted builder. So anything <laughs> that I don't have to get permitted, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. So nice. Now in your non-podcast beer drinking artisan life, right? you are an award-winning celebrated. Now you've won a number of awards, but one of number those awards, awards stands out more than the others. That is kind of like this podcast. Yeah. Would you care to speak to the, uh, your biggest award you've won? Yeah, the biggest award I've won is kind of, like I said, it, very similar to this episode of the podcast. I think you and I were sitting around one day. Uh, I can't remember whether it was a staff meeting at school or whether we were sitting around trying to pick out who the next teacher of the year was going to be. And we kind of were, I think we were kind of joking at first, but, you know, we we're in our in our normal way where we were like, well, we haven't won anything in a while. And we kind of <laughs> said, well, we should create an award. And so we created the Jeff of the Year, the award. And uh, and at that time, I think there were about five or six Jeffs working at the school. So yes. it was a it was a good time to do that and and so i was very honored to be uh the initial the inaugural winner of the jeff of the year award not only a founding father but the yes. uh, inaugural winner yeah so and that award has carried on and now we have we are on to honorary jeffs and it's actually we've kind of taken over some of our uh, uh meetings at the beginning of the school year to do our presentation of the jeff yeah. of the year and we have mount jeff moore so we've taken uh, the graphic design teacher at school took mount rushmore and imposed all of our faces all of the jeff faces on mount rushmore and now it's mount jeff moore and uh, that's part of the award. So it's been pretty fun. Like I said, it's just a kind of a tongue in cheek thing, but uh, uh, yes, it's, it's been very fun. And I, I don't mean to uh, belittle your other awards and uh, recognitions because you have many and all well-deserved, but to me, that's the most important. Oh, I, I agree. hundred percent came from the heart. Yes. And as a fellow high school teacher, I know how often people want to pity us or you know the first words are oh your job must be so hard or how miserable is it working with teenagers aren't you scared but <laughs> it's not it's not that bad is it no not at all what do you love about it i know you love it so what what do you love about it? let's cut to the chase I would say, I mean, obviously, I think it's the the advice we all give our our kids as they're growing up, and anybody that asks us, you want to find something. If you love something, it just, it's not a job; it's a you know, it's it becomes a passion. And I I would say that teaching for me, uh, it, it teaching is that, but it's it's not so much. And I've evolved. I mean, I've been doing this now for teaching wise. I don't know, twenty seven plus years. It's not even to me the subject matter or anything else. It's just that interaction with students and with teenagers. And I I love teenagers. I think teenagers are are great. You know, for whatever reason, I've always related really well with them. Um, I enjoy their enthusiasm and their energy. You know, I think my personality, my, my wife always teases me that it's because I'm basically still a teenager, which is probably part of it. Um, I've never really grown up. And so I think <laughs> I, I relate well with them. Uh, but I just, like I said, I really enjoy that part of it. I enjoy those relationships and, and that energy. I think it keeps us young. You know, and so going to school, I mean, I, I've been going to school, you know, same as you since <laughs> forever, uh, but it's fun. Every day is different. Every day is unique. Um, you meet some amazing um, young people. You know, people always talk about that, uh, you know, how, oh my gosh, the future is so dim. And, and I go, man, the kids I work with, our future is so bright. And and that's what I put that on our kids. I say, hey, we've messed it up quite badly for us. It's your <laughs> job to fix it uh, down the road. And, and I feel pretty confident that they're going to do it. But uh, yeah, it's a great job. And one thing, those of you that are in education, planning and going to education, considering it, something 
that a veteran teacher knows how to say and a and someone who's not a veteran sometimes messes up. You said you love teenagers, and that's exactly you, you have to be general. You cannot be specific. Right. Every good teacher knows you can't be specific. You can't say, I love 12 year olds. Right. You have to say, I love middle school kids. You yeah. can't say, I love 14 year olds. Yeah, or all of a sudden you're in the papers and looking for a job. Yeah. So nicely done. That's an excellent lesson. <laughs> hey, there you go. Well, and it's also advice that I, I give when I have students that tell me they want to become teachers or people have said is because is, I did this is that, you know, get as much experience as you can with as many different age groups to find that niche, to find that age group that you like working with. Like, and I did that. I mean, I worked from preschool summer camp stuff to middle school and, and to high school. And I just, the high school age was the right age for me. And I think that's, a, I think that's really important. It's the humor, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to find the ones that fit your, your humor or lack of for, you know, some teachers that, that that's not their True. thing is humor, but it's got to be the, the chemistry. Yeah. Now you're not known for being an old timey lecturer type teacher, that sage on the stage mode where we picture a teacher standing on a at the very front at a lectern right. droning on and on and on with half the class disengaged, picking their nose, staring out a window asleep. You have your own unique style that you've developed uh, for teaching. What is your approach to teaching? Uh, well, I think in some ways, I mean, you guys know me pretty well about this. I don't stand still for too long. And I think, I, I don't know that I ever, I was always, a, I was a good student, but I mean, I, I feel like my attention span is as shrunk as I've gotten older. So I think that's my teaching style and that affects my teaching style. I don't like to spend, you know, an hour on something and just, I get bored. So I think in some ways I, you know, I tend to chunk my, my lessons and my teaching down into little 20 minute segments, which tends to play well with, with kids nowadays. But I, I really think that at the base of anything and any good teacher to me is, is relationships with your students. Uh, if your students feel that you respect them, if your students feel that you care about them, they're going to work harder for you. And so I really go out of my way. And this is, again, something that learned over the course of time, but to really connect with students outside the curriculum. Um, you know, I, I am constantly, you know, walking around and, and noticing things. So, if, you know, if a kid has a, a, a shirt from the band, I will ask him questions about the band, you know, and, or a kid's got a book on their desk. I'll look at the book and I'll start asking, well, what do you think of this book? Is this a book I should read? You know, and why do you like this book? So again, trying to connect with those kids or create those relationships that are kind of outside the curriculum. And, and I think it, you know, it, it, it pays off sometimes when you have students at the, <laughs> at the end of the year that are like, I don't really like, I teach Spanish. I don't really like Spanish at all, but I really liked your class, you know, and I, I, that means a lot to me because I get that, you, you know, not everybody's going to like whatever they like, but the fact that they, they understood that I, you know, I, I tried to, to make that connection with them or, or felt that they were respected in my class is an important thing. So I think all teachers should strive for that. I, I've never felt that, you know, those teachers that just throw out the, the assignment and then expect to do this assignment, turn it in. And then there's no regard for really the kid themselves. I think that they're kind of missing. It's like a, uh, they're missing the whole picture of being what it means to be or why you should be a teacher and an effective teacher. That big picture understanding and being able to express that to students is, is really important, isn't it? Right. Oh, no doubt. And I think I've got bigger understanding of that as I've gotten further along in my career. Um, you know, and I've, I've evolved like, you know, I mean, we, I don't know if we touched on it a bit. One of my big jobs at school is, is I'm in charge of all the activities and stuff. So dances and this and that and everything else. And, you know, again, that's, that's been an evolution for me, but I've come to the, to the realization that that stuff is as important, if not sometimes more important than, 
than the lessons that we're teaching in the classroom. Because again, those are all the things that keep the kids connected to school and keep them engaged and, and, uh, and they're great skills for them, you know, learn how to plan and organize and stuff. So it's been, it's been fun. Like I said, I've learned as much as, as I think a lot of times the kids have learned. I know my daughter's choice of college was changed because of, of her experience in your class of, uh, she had been looking at some very small private schools with not a lot of extracurriculars, but you gave, gave her that big picture that what does it mean to be a student and what does it mean to be involved in a campus yeah. and a community? And, and she said, no, I need a bigger school. So anyways, everyone on the podcast, uh, who's not here, we've all had kids with you and, and we salute right. you and thank you for your work. Appreciate it. Yeah. But I don't want to get too far from what we're yeah. really about, which is another beer. <laughs> That's right. That's time. <laughs> Lucid dreamer. Lucid. Are we doing lucid dreamer or lucid dreamer coconut? Oh, oh, coconut. If I'm given the choice, lucid. All right, we're going to do coconut. Coconut. I did not expect this beer to look this way as I pour it. It looks like a lot of those fruited, fruited Berliner vices. Yes, it does. Kind of a rouge, pinkish, dark hue, and it darkens up after you pour it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a kettle sour, yeah. brewed with milk sugar, mangoes, raspberries, coconut. An organic coconut. Yeah. It says it's been aged on co oh, coconut. Oh, 5.8%. It's a beautiful looking beer. Well, that's a fantastic looking beer. The smell is not what I expected it to be. I guess it does have no. some tartness in the smell, but... I don't smell any coconut. Let me get my nose in there real good. It does have that that tart. You can get the raspberries in the in the nose of it for sure. I don't get any mango or coconut in the smell. No. Wow. Oh, I kind of wish the gang was here for this. <laughs> it's a great beer. No, I I really like this. This, this is. I I want a keg of this. And you know what's weird about it? Because I, I, like I said, the initial, I agree with you. We, we've been drinking a lot of beers that are somewhat similar in terms of the, the, that raspberry taste to it, you know? But I think that whether it's that coconut or whatever, it really kind of smooths out the end of it. Yeah. There's no sour at the end of it. Can we have Tom or Joe, when they get around listening to this, I don't know where you're at on it. We're often very close on our beer ratings, unless it's a Mexican lager. <laughs> I'm at a five on this. Yeah, I'm gonna look. I, I I had this before. I'm trying to see where what I what I gave it because I I agree with you. I think it's this is amazing, nicely done, stave and nail. And I'm trying to see a verse because they also make a regular lucid dream, and then they make the lucid dream on the coconut. But uh, I've had the regular lucid dreamer. This this is amazing. This is really good for the listeners. Yeah, I know. Well, this is this is why we usually have Joe, so we don't do this. Let us all look. We may it have up. to send this part to Joe and say, "Say, Joe, fix this up. Tom, fix this up." <laughs> well, I'm putting it on Untapped right now at a perfect five. We sat and drank with the sun on our shoulders and felt like free men. Hell, we could have been tarring the roof of one of our own houses. We were the lords of all creation. I love this beer. I'm going to put it in real quick, so then I don't forget. Yeah, like I said, if if you're anywhere around this area, you've got to go check out Stavenale. The stuff they're doing is really, really good. I know that they're going to be open. Actually, they're going to be open this weekend, which I guess doesn't help you guys out. But uh, <laughs> check their website. They actually have like a like a calendar, and it tells you what uh, when they're open and what weekends they're open and everything else. But yeah, no, this is a this is a good choice on beers. Can you tell us about a favorite or 
memorable student. We'll, we'll change names if you need to. Uh, you want to share a quick story about? Uh, you know, I, I don't know about like just individual. I, I mean, how many students have we had? So you figure you got about 200 students a year. You've been doing it for 200 plus years or 200 years, 20 something years, 20 plus years. We've had so many students, so many, you know, I, I would say from my standpoint, I've really enjoyed almost all of them. I mean, I can only think of maybe one or two on, on uh, that I can think of that were like, I couldn't wait for them to be gone at the end of the year. Right. Um, you know, so I think from that standpoint, it's it's been pretty fun. I've learned a lot from kids. Um, I think I things I learned was, you know, I've learned not to take myself real seriously. I think that's very important. And that's one of the reasons why I think I, ha- I end up having a pretty good relationship with kids is because uh, I do you know, I'll make fun of them, but they make fun of me. And it's, it's kind of, it becomes a little give and take in terms of that kind of, uh, that kind of an environment. So it's pretty, I think in the way I look at it, it feels somewhat safe, you know, so I, I appreciate that. Like I said, their, their enthusiasm and their energy to me is infectious and it, it makes it, it makes it fun to come to school, you know, and, and again, it's, it's one of those things, you know, you're looking back on it, there's so many kids and, and so many uh, people that have had kind of profound effects on your, Teaching for me, coaching, and all those different things that I've done—it's—it's it's hard to just pick one or two. I will tell you this: I, I did learn very early on, like uh, the the whole thing about what to ask and when to ask, and not judging books by its cover. Those are definitely lessons I learned uh, in you know in reality from students. I remember my—I think it was my first year teaching. I was walking around the classroom on the first day, and like I said, I try and—and and I didn't even really know what I was really doing at that point. So I apologize to anybody who had me in the first couple of years. <laughs> Probably took me till about year five till I started and think I knew what I was doing. But anyways, um, you know, I, I did. I still would walk around and I would, you know, try and chat kids up and that kind of stuff. And I remember I walk up and there was this one girl and she had her binder on her desk there. And she had on the binder, there was a picture of these two young kids. And I'm like, oh, are those your sisters? And she's like, no, those are my children. <laughs> oh. So I learned right there. Be careful what you ask on uh, day one, because you may not get the answer you expected. And uh, it's kind of hard to fake that reaction when you go, oh, and I think I did it pretty well. I, oh, oh, they're beautiful. <laughs> but here it was. This is a girl in my class that had already had two kids and I All wasn't right. prepared for that. So uh, another rare, I'll tell you another funny story just from that standpoint, not one talk about this, especially when I have new teachers in, in my department about that. You know, when you, when you go to through school to learn how to be a teacher, I think this is probably true for most professions, but I can only speak to being a teacher. You sit in those classes and you have some guy up there that tells you about how to be a teacher who is never really taught uh, in a school, in a public school setting. You know, they're telling you how to teach in a classroom with, you know, 15 students that are all showing up well-fed, ready to learn, all that perfectly kind of stuff, you know, and that's, that's their setup. So I want to say this was either year one or year two. I remember year two, I'm sitting there and it's the period right after lunch and we're sitting in class and someone on the one side of the classroom, I had my classroom kind of the way it was set up. There's two sides of the classroom and one on the one side, like kind of raises their hand or comes up to me and goes, it really smells really bad on our side of the room or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And I walk over there and I go, oh God, yeah, it really stinks over here. It smells like crap. What happened? Oh no. And then all of a sudden we look and some kid had stepped in dog shit on his way into the classroom. And uh, and then he was proceeded, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember those desks, but they have the baskets, the wire baskets underneath. And it was his, his feet were on, the, those shoes were there. So it all got oh. embedded there. And I'm like standing there going, okay, they did not teach me how to deal with this in my teaching <laughs> classes, uh, you know? So a lot of things like that, where you have those ones, or we had the one year where the the rat dropped out of the ceiling and the student and the, ran off or the kid that projectile vomited after lunch. Cause he'd had a bunch of vodka at lunch. 
they don't teach you how to deal with those things in, in, uh, in, in teaching school. So, but each one of those experiences, you know, I dealt with them and how we dealt with them and they've all kind of become kind of funny stories now in hindsight and you, and you kind of move on. And, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm to me personally, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I would assume we have millions of former students that listen to us. I'm just going to assume that. Um, but I'm indebted to all of them because like I said, they've all played a, played a role and played a part. And what is to me has been a, an exceptional and really fun uh, job so far. And I'm looking forward. I still probably got a handful more years to go. So looking forward to the rest of it. Among your other talents, you are a trivia nut. What, what's your specialty? Oh, my specialty. This is if you had to say like, what's your useless uh, your whatever <laughs> skill that you have is uh, sports trivia. Um, sports trivia. I am definitely like back in trivial pursuit days when that was a big thing, or we go to uh, brewery nights. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can lock down pretty, pretty much any sports trivia question. And that just goes back to my nerdy childhood of playing way too many games with sports and stats and reading Guinness book of world records and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, back when I was a kid, I had a friend, uh, and we would, replicate there would there was games where you would play it was almost like D D or dungeons and dragons i think most people know what that is but it was for sports and so you would have a card for and you could play we'd play entire baseball seasons or basketball seasons or football <laughs> seasons that way so we knew everything about every player and you know the, the i guess the only good thing about that is i can answer a lot of crazy uh <laughs> questions that most people are like why the hell do you know that and i'm like yes. i have no idea you're a powerful ally on trivia night. That's right. I, I know my wheelhouse. My wheelhouse is definitely sports. So, <laughs> hey, let's get back to beer. Sounds good. Talent, give us a, a moment in beer time. Now, we know your ideal beer scenario. You've talked about it before beach in Mexico, Mexican lager by your side. But tell us about one specific special beer moment in your life. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough question because. Well, I'm going to just give you this. I'm going to go back to the Mexican lager in, in Mexico because so I'm going to give you two stories that I think uh, to me are, are phenomenal beer moments because one was uh, we were camping at a place called Santa Rosalita on the Pacific side down in Baja. We had uh, we'd been out surfing and windsurfing for the day and we were just kind of sitting there enjoying the, the sunset towards the end of the day and a group of uh, there's a, was a fishing village down the, the way and these kids come, you know, driving down on the beach and they proceed to kind of just all run out into the surf right in front of us. And they've got just Hawaiian slings and some masks and they go out and they, they catch a halibut that is, I mean, when they walked out, I don't know how big the kid was, but if I'm holding it, probably holding it chest high. So this is probably halibut from, from the tail to the tip was probably four feet long. I mean, it was a massive halibut. And I think we traded four beers for that halibut. <laughs> uh, so that was a great beer moment. Only to be outdone when I was on the other side, on the Sierra Cortez side, and we're down in LA Bay. And these guys come in with the hugest, largest lobster you've ever seen. And we just traded one beer per lobster. So that probably was an even better beer moment. So those were big <laughs> beer moments. But uh, I would say for me, my, my big beer moments right now are, are, are still happening. Um, and most of them, the best ones now have started to come out because of this podcast. I mean, meeting Mike Lopez have been fantastic. Most of our trips have been pretty incredible. Um, and I look forward to continuing to uh, 
you know, meet and talk to people that, uh, that I kind of idolize in the industry. They probably don't even realize it, but I mean, when you're talking to people from mother earth and Epic and Ballast point and Coronado brewing and ale Smith and all these places to me, it's like, I mean, a year plus ago, I would have never thought we'd be sitting in the same room and having conversations like, Oh yeah, we, we're, we're industry. We know what we're talking about. Rock so stars. That's been pretty fun. Yeah. Rock stars. These are rock stars in our, in our, so that's been pretty fun. So. <laughs> all right. One last quick question. Yeah. And, th- and this is from a little bit of my selfish side. What's up next in the home brewing uh, department? All right. So next up in the home brewing, I have a, um, it's like a honey lager that I'm going to give it a shot. So I'm just waiting. I'll probably start that in the next couple of days. Um, and so I'm very excited for that. And then uh, I'm, my hops are probably two, three weeks away from being uh, ready to be harvested. So I got to figure out how to do that. Okay. So once I figure out how to do that and how to dry them and everything else, I'm, I'm looking forward to making a beer with hops that I grew in my backyard. So I think that'd be kind of fun. And then ultimately I need to get back and figure out what I put in that Kolsch because that Kolsch still is the best beer I've made and I don't know what I put in it. So uh, I will have to start doing some heavy research on how to get back to that Kolsch. Yeah, that Kolsch, that whatever we decided to call it. Yeah, the, the, the Bach, the Bach Kolsch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Getting to Know Your Host talent (laughs) thanks for playing along jeff enjoyed it can't wait to turn the tables on you (laughs) you did you enjoy talking about yourself oh you know i I have a hard time talking about myself so yeah (laughs) listeners thanks for uh tuning in and we will later on thank tom and joe for leaving us alone to get a podcast in you want to take us out in spanish adios <laughs> That's how you say run in Spanish? Oh, tenemos que correr. <laughs> <laughs> Corramos. <laughs>